Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. In fact, I think that we tend to underestimate his sovereignty and we tend to overestimate our own will. Now, we have will, of course. We, we make decisions and we face those consequences. God has given us that ability. But I believe that we tend to underestimate the sovereignty of God in the universe, in the spiritual and the natural world. So we tend to underestimate that. And so this passage, at the right time, that God chose just the right time to send Jesus Christ to the world, to become a man and come into this time and space. And historians look at this and they say, well, there are a few reasons why this is just the right time for Jesus to come in, for the message of the gospel, the message of this upside-down kingdom to come into, into, into our world. And first they say, well, the Greek language. The Greek language was the very first time that the world had a common language. That prior to that, every little city-state had their own language. And all of a sudden, when the time that Jesus was born, we had this common language, and the whole world was able to talk to one another. Because they had a language that was all the same. So the message of the gospel was able to spread all around the world. The other reason that historians say, they're just sort of speculating about what is the wisdom of God. But they speculate in a way to see, well, how is this the right time? And the second reason that they say that this is the right time is because Rome, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, you've probably studied the Roman Empire, that it brought peace to the world, that there were no longer wars or conflicts, and people were able to travel all over the Western world without much difficulty. And so... People like Paul and the other missionaries, the apostles, the early church, they were able to go out into the world and tell people about who Jesus Christ was. Now, of course, they faced difficulty. They faced death. They faced persecution. They faced martyrdom. But the Roman Empire brought a time of peace when they could go out into the entire world. And so it was just the right time for Jesus to come into the world and die for the ungodly, because the whole world could find out about it. I think a third reason, and we're going to dovetail into this Mark passage with this, the third reason that this was just the right time was because the Pharisees were different than any of the other ruling religious classes that we'd seen before. The Pharisees were sort of the, the, the leading religious figures of the Jewish people, and they were... They were disobedient in a different way. Look, y'all have read through Kings or Chronicles. You've read through all the various stories of the kings of the Old Testament from the northern and the southern kingdom. Were those kings, for the most part, good kings or bad kings? They were bad kings. Almost all of them were bad kings. Like after David, it pretty much went downhill. There were a few good kings spread in there. But all throughout the Old Testament, you read through Kings and Chronicles, and it says, King so-and-so did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Our king so-and-so walked in the ways of his father, who, by the way, was also a bad king. And so we saw these kings in the Old Testament, these uh, high religious figures that were, that were just disobedient. And then we come into the time of Jesus, and the Pharisees were disobedient in a different way. 
Because the Pharisees were really good at following the law. They were really good at reading it and debating about it and thinking about it and saying, well, this law means this and this law means this and we have to do this on this particular day and we have to do this on this day. They were very good at following the law. But they missed the point. They missed the entire point of the law. And the entire point of the law was, was a thread all throughout the Old Testament. It wasn't something new. It was something that had always been there. Is that God doesn't desire your sacrifices. The prophet Hosea told him, told the people, they said, God doesn't desire your sacrifices. He desires mercy. He doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants your heart. He wants a heart that is contrite and malleable and bent on worshiping him. And so the Pharisees were kind of different. And they, they come, Jesus comes at a time when the Pharisees are, are defining and describing the Jewish religion of the day. That, that they were very legalistic, very focused on following the law, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And they were missing the heart of God in this. So it was a, it was a special time. It was just the right time for Jesus to come. And so tonight we're going to read in Mark. We're going to be reading Mark uh, 2, 13 through 17. And there are a few things that come about in this kingdom that, that Jesus describes. And we're going to look at it from the perspective of the Pharisees and how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees. Uh, let's read in uh, Mark 2. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll come back and look at it sort of verse by verse. And he went out again by the seashore. Oh, by the way, so this is following right after they dropped the guy down from the ceiling. Y'all studied that last week, right, Pastor Don? Was that last week? Yeah. yeah. So he dropped the guy down from the ceiling, and Jesus healed him. And not only did he heal him, but he did what? He forgave his sins. And that was the bigger deal, forgiving his sins. Because who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And that means Jesus is God. That's what Jesus was saying. It's like, look, I'm God. When he says your sins are forgiven. So anyway, he went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. As he passed by, let's stop for just a second again. So as you're reading through the Gospels, the stories are not always chronological. So don't let that trip you up because the Gospel writers... They weren't really in the business of saying this is a step-by-step account of the works that Jesus did. Instead, they say, we're going to take these events in Jesus' life and we're going to collect them together so that they make a, a particular point, a point that was given to them by the Holy Spirit. And so the stories are not always chronological. Don't let that bother you. That's not a big deal. They just didn't really do that back in that time. Okay. Ready to read again? You ready? Okay. So as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
the few unexpected things about Jesus' kingdom that we see in this, this interaction, this, this story about these events in Jesus' life. Uh, the first thing is that he called a tax collector to be part of his kingdom. And he probably doesn't mean much to you to be like the tax man, to, to call out the tax man, the tax collector to be part of the kingdom. But it was a really big deal because tax collectors were despised. They were rejected by everybody. This is how it worked. The Roman government, you would come to them and you would say, I want to be a tax collector. And they would say, okay, pay us a fee. And then the tax collector would pay the Roman government a fee. And then the government would say, okay, now you have the authority to go out and collect taxes in our name. And then the tax collector would go out and he'd just collect all the taxes he'd get. And some of the money might go back to Rome, but most of it the tax collector kept for himself. So you can imagine then that the tax collector, his ultimate goal is to collect as much money as possible. It's kind of like a debt collector. I'm not sure if you've ever known a debt collector, but it's kind of like a debt collector today. So they would do everything that they could to make as much money as they could. They might extort people. They might threaten people. They might use all sorts of measures to make as much money as they could. And so you might imagine, hey, that's going to sort of set some people off. And in fact, it did. So if you became a tax collector, there was a pretty big price to pay. First of all, you'd make a lot of money. It was a big money maker. You'd make a lot of money as a tax collector. And that's why people wanted to do it. But you would lose everything else. Your family would say, tax collector, no longer my son. You're no longer my child. I don't even know you. I don't want you in my house. I don't ever want to see you. We're never even going to speak your name again at our family reunions. You are no longer part of this family. And so Levi, when he became a tax collector, was completely put out by his family. Likewise, his friends, they didn't want to be his friends again. They said, we don't even want to see you, talk to you. We want nothing to do with you ever, ever again. Don't ever show your face to me again. Levi was completely shut out by his friends. And his church, his synagogue, would be completely excommunicated. It would be like Pastor Dom waiting outside by the door of uh, the lighthouse. And uh, Elijah, you're a tax collector. And he would do like this because a pretty big buff guy. And he would say, Elijah, you're not allowed here anymore. Leave. Turn around and leave. You'd be completely turned out from your church, from your family, from your friends, completely despised and outcast from society. You would be considered a sinner, and you would be. You would have all these unethical practices that you would be doing to make as much money as you could. So it's strange. It's really unexpected that Jesus would call a tax collector, the lowest of the low, within the society. Why would he call a tax collector? I'll tell you something about God. God is jealous. He is a jealous God. The Old Testament says it over and over. Jealous. He's a jealous God. God is jealous for you. He is. He is jealous for your worship. And he's jealous for your praise. He's jealous to receive honor and glory and praise from you. But it's not like he's uh, like a jealous 
girlfriend or boyfriend who's always looking over your shoulder, always looking at your text, always thinking about, hey, you need to come and, and make sure that you're looking at me, okay? He's not like that because the difference between God and us is that God is worthy. He is the only one that's honor that's worthy of honor and glory and praise. So when we say that He's jealous, then it's rightfully so, frankly, that He is rightfully jealous to have the honor and the praise and glory that is due to Him. And not only that, but He made us. And He knows how He made us. And He made us with a very clear purpose. And the very clear purpose is that we are to worship Him. And He knows that if ever we do something that's different from worshiping Him, then it brings death. It brings an estrangement from Him. We're not fulfilling what He's made us for. So God is jealous. He is jealous for worship and praise. And He will take it from the sinners or the righteous, the people who call themselves righteous. He will will seek honor and praise from anyone that will call upon Him. And so He calls on a sinner. He calls on a tax collector, the lowest of the low. The second thing, and this is kind of remarkable, I love this about Levi. I love Levi for this. The second thing that is unexpected is that Levi goes out and calls a whole bunch of other people just like him. Let's read in verse 15. And it happened that he, that's Jesus, and he was reclining at the table in his house with many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples For there were many of them, and they were following him. So Levi, he leaves his job as a tax collector, and then he goes out and he throws a party. He has a party. He invites all of his tax collector folks that he knows, invites them to his house. He invites all the the sinners that he knows, all the people that are outcasts just like him, and he has them into his house, and he throws a party. It's a party for Jesus, right? That's what it is. It's a party for Jesus. They have him come in and he's like, hey look, this is what I'm going to be doing now. This guy, I saw him on the road, I heard what he was teaching, I saw what he was doing and he said, follow me and I got up and I left my job, I left my my role as a tax collector and I'm going to follow him. And I want you to come. I want you to come and meet him. I want you to come and see him. I want you to come and know what he's saying and come into my house and we'll have a party for Jesus. It's a party. Now, I was meeting with a friend of mine at Nichols. He's a college minister. He's a friend. He's a mentor. He's a peer. And I was telling him about the young adults. We had a young adult meeting, oh, I don't know, a week and a half ago or so. And one of the young adults had invited a couple of her friends from, or a couple of just people that she met in class, one of which she knew was an atheist, and that we were having a discussion about science from a biblical perspective. And I just wanted to have them come in and, and just, I don't know, just sort of see what it was like, to see what Jesus Christ is like. And she invited him in. I told my friend, my mentor, and he said, you know, I've been working in college ministry for a decade or two. And it's very rare to get a student like that. It's very rare to get a student that's bold and courageous enough to invite uh, a classmate or a friend to something that they know that they might not be 
open to, to know that they might be anxious about or to know that they might actually be angry about, rejected or object to. But he said that it really shows in that person that they have a heart that is aligned with the heart of God. A heart that desires what God desires. Because God loves the lost. He loves the lost a lot more than we think He does. I think we always, I I think we underestimate how much God loves those who don't know Him. we, We know that God loves us. I know it. I think you know it. And I rest in that. But He loves the lost just as much. He longs for them. He wants them to come. He, he loves the lost. But Jesus told this story. It was a parable. It wasn't a real story. He made it up. But he made it up to make a point. It's a story about a dinner. It's called the parable of the dinner. And in it, there's a really wealthy man. And he has a dinner for all of his wealthy colleagues. Spends a lot of money. Has this huge table just filled with wonderful foods. And he calls his friends, he sends out his servant, tells his friends to come. And the friends come back with different excuses. One of them says, hey, I just got married. Sorry, I can't come because I just got married. And I just got to, we, you know, we're dealing, so I, I can't come. And then the second one said, hey, I just bought some land. Sorry, but I can't come because i got to take care of this land. And then this last excuse, I kind of like, I'm going to try this one out one time. He says... No, sorry, I just bought five oxen. And i got to take care of my oxen. You should try that. Like if there's something you don't want to do, just say, No, sorry, i got these oxen. i got to deal with it. And don't lie. Don't lie. Just, just tell me you don't want to go. Um, so i got these oxen, and i got to tend to these oxen. And then the man says, i got all this food. So the servant comes back. And he tells the servant, no, you go out, and I've seen all the crippled and the lame and the beggars out on the street, and they smell really bad, but you call them, and you tell them to come into my house, and we will sit down together, and we will eat this wonderful choice meal. And so the servant goes out, and he brings in all the crippled and the lame and the beggars from the streets outside the house, and they come in and they sit down. But then the servant says, Lord, I've done this, but sir... The, uh, there's still some seats left at the table. And the guy says, well, I don't want the oxen and the married guy and the land guy coming. You go out and you find anybody that you can and you bring them into this house and fill this table. I want this table full. You tell them to come and eat. Come and enjoy this meal. And so they throw open the doors They throw open the windows and they yell out, Come, come and eat. Come and enjoy this meal with my Lord. That's the heart of Jesus. And that's what He wants our heart to be. That we throw open the doors and we throw open the windows of the lighthouse. We throw open the doors and windows of our home and we invite the people in. We invite all the people in, even the ones that smell funny, even the ones that are crippled and poor and lame, especially those. And we invite them into the house to worship the Lord Almighty. Because He is jealous. He is jealous for our praise. He's jealous for our worship. He wants us to come before Him. So it's interesting, it's unexpected that Levi would go out and call these others that are just like Him. 
finally is unexpected that he doesn't call the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders. They're where it's at, right? They are the leaders of the religious group, of the Jewish group. And so it seems like Jesus would cozy up to those folks. But in fact, he doesn't. In 16 and 17, it says, When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Probably the biggest surprise of all all, is that Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. Now listen, in the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew, there's no quotation marks. But I I can see them, I can hear them in Jesus' voice that I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. That he puts these quotation marks around righteous because he looks at the Pharisees and says, you think you're righteous, but you're not. That it's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. My father-in-law, he he died about 15 or 18 years ago. And he, uh, he smoked his whole life. And so he'd go to the doctor every year, and he'd tell the doc, he'd say, look, I know that I'm at risk for cancer, so I want you to examine I want you to do a chest x-ray, and I want you to check to make sure that I don't have cancer. And he'd do that every year. And every year, the doc would say, you don't have cancer. You're, you're well. You're perfectly healthy. You don't need to come see me. But every year, he'd go back and say, all right, just check again, because I smoked my whole life. I know that I'm at risk. And the doc, every year, he would check on and say, you're fine. But he wasn't. Because inside of his chest, he had this little spot for several years. And it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And it was hidden. Because it was hidden, sort of tucked in behind a bone, and they just never caught it. And it grew, this dark spot on his lung. And then finally, he got a little bit of a cough. <coughs> And the cough wouldn't go away. It had it for several months. And then he started getting pains. And he went back to the doctor. And the doctor said, Jim, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. We missed it before. But you have cancer in it, and it's, it's everywhere. It's, we, we just we can't really do anything at all. You're, you're going to die in a few months. Jesus doesn't come to call the the righteous or the healthy. He comes to save those who are sick. He comes to save those who are sinners. He comes to save those who need Him. I don't want you to think that Jesus doesn't love the Pharisees. He very much loves the Pharisees. They were His They were the people that he had led up out of Egypt. He spread the Red Sea for them to cross. They were the people that he had led into the promised land and led them around the the walls of Jericho until they fell. They were the people that he had led and made the sun stand still over their heads while they had victory over their enemies. 
they were his people. And when he sees them with such a hardness of heart, he's greatly grieved. In Mark 3, 5, he says, he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus loved the Pharisees. He loved them more than you know. He longed for them to come to him. He longed for them to join him at the dinner table, to join and sit down and share in the meal. He loves them, and he wants you to love them too. He wants you to have a heart for them, a heart to throw open the doors, throw open the windows, and shout that Jesus is Lord. To shout that Jesus is God and all who are lame and all who are weak and all who are shut out and forgotten are invited to come in to His meal. It's the great gift of God, the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Dear Lord, I, I thank You that You have loved us with an everlasting love. You have loved us with a love that never ends with a love that comes not at our own righteousness, not something that we deserved or have worked for, but indeed that it came in a time when we were ungodly. At just the right time, you came to die for the ungodly, and that was us. And we are so incredibly thankful, so grateful that you have changed the eternity of our lives forever. Lord, we know that you have a desire to be worshipped. And you have a heart for those who are lost. And I pray that you will align our hearts with those who need you, who are longing for you, who, who don't know you. I pray that you will align our hearts so that we can throw open the doors and windows of our hearts, throw open our voices to those who are lost, and invite them to come in 